the division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has, take, he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. That's a big brag, isn't it? Well, uh, maybe not. But have you got a moment that you've always been waiting for? Or maybe you've already experienced it. Um... So, uh, there's like trivial ones, isn't there? Like, so if you're coming off the expressway and you come off at Panalatinga and all the lights are green 
And you feel like you're in a jet engine, don't you? You like get down here so quickly. It's a moment you've always been waiting for. Or you pull into Westfield Marion to do your Christmas shopping just as someone else vacates a parking space and you glide in there. The moment you've always been waiting for. Uh, I gave um, somebody the moment they've always been waiting for uh, a few years ago now when Robert was born. Can you just bring this up? Sorry, struggling with proclaim this morning. Um, yeah, uh, so um, I was on a course in the city centre. Um, Sharon was in hospital um, uh, just having Robert, the new baby, monitored. Um, and I got this message. Uh, they're inducing me. Can you, can you, I'm going into labour. Can you come to the hospital? So I made my excuses in the class I was in, walked outside and found um, a black cab and said to the driver, I said, can you take me to St. Mary's, please? Uh, my wife's in, that's the, the labour hospital. Um, my wife's in labour. Well, I'd made his day. He was obviously like, this was the moment he'd always been waiting for. And he says, strap in, mate. Don't worry, I'll get you there. And he was like, oh, well, it's okay. You don't need to rush. No, no, don't you worry. Anyway, we hurtled down these back alleys. It was like Starsky and Hutch or something. All these little streets around Manchester City Centre that I didn't know even existed. And we got there in about half the time we probably should have done. It was the moment he'd always been waiting for. I was pleased to have been able to give him that excuse. As we um, begin our look at, at the Christmas story, and I've deliberately thought, we think we know this story, but it's good to get just actually see what the text says again, isn't it? So as we begin our look at Christmas, um, at looking at this small baby who's a big deal, the world is being born into is still waiting for their moment. It's a world which is far, far removed from how things are supposed to be. And it seems like God has forgotten his promises of rescue and victory for his people. It seems like God doesn't care. But God is about to act. God's about to intervene by grace to keep his promises in a really surprising way. Now, I'm no angel, but uh, my aim this morning is the same as uh, Gabriel in, this, in these, this passage, to get us ready for celebrating Jesus' birth, to take in some of the facts, some of the information, and to take in God's interpretation of those facts, their meaning, so that we're left with a choice to hear and obey, to believe this message as the moment we've all been waiting for, or to reject it. So there's an outline in your leaflets there. So there's comp we'll compare and contrast. That's just going to help us look at the passage. Um, klaxon, um, that's just, there's going to be some things that are shouting at us from the passage. And it, to me, it's like a, an old-fashioned car horn going off. And then the fourth point, uh, that's just for me and Colin. Okay, so it's Colin. Actually, I just want another C. But actually, you cross that out and put your own name there because that fourth point is... What, how are you going to respond to this? All right, so put your own name in there. Me and Colin are sorted. Okay, so first of all, compare. Um, so in your leaflets, uh, just pull this out, this will be handy. I'm sorry it's the writing's font's a bit small, but you should have a double-sided thing like this. Page one at the bottom, we've signed it verse five. And what I've got, what I've got here is the pass two, two halves of the passage side by side. 
So just be handy if that's out. So what in verse 1 to 4, before, before today's passage, we get what Luke's trying to do with this gospel, this biography of Jesus. So what he's doing is collected the facts, the eyewitness reports, um, and put them in an orderly fashion. So that's why in Luke's gospel, there's loads of names and places and seemingly sort of superfluous details. And that's why right from the start here of his gospel, you get real human reactions. It's not like the hero who gets everything right kind of reactions, fairy tale reactions. You get real reactions. And Luke's not only left us with a scene uh, and we've got to work out what it means. He also has arranged things. He aims to help us understand the meaning of those facts. So like these days, there's 24-hour news cycle, isn't it? There's a new sort of news dropped every hour, and we get drip-fed bits of news. Back in the day, in the olden days, everything was, was centered around the sort of nightly news bulletin. So there was time to gather the information and have a think about it and see what it actually meant, what its significance was in the bigger picture. So that's what Luke's doing. Luke's ordered his information so that we get what it means, so we can have confidence in his account and so that we can see uh, how these words and these events fulfill what God has already promised before. And so this is how he begins, um, putting side by side the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and of Mary and structuring them so we can compare them and contrast them. So that's why I've printed them out there because these two accounts, they, what I hope to show you is the structure of them is the same. It, 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 there's an order. So let's have a look. So uh, on one side there, verse 5 and 6 and verse 26, we meet the parents. So we've got Zechariah and Elizabeth. So they're a ministry couple. Zechariah was a priest and both he and his wife Elizabeth were sort of priestly blue, blue bloods, kind of really good um, family connections. Then on the other side, there's Mary, a country girl from a sort of nowhere frontier town. So have you heard of the sound Sepphoris? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? No? No. Th and that town was the major town of the region that Galilee was in, and we've never heard of it. So Nazareth was a minor town uh, compared to a bigger town that you've never heard of. So the point is, Nazareth, it doesn't get a mention in the, in the Old Testament. It's a bit of a nowhere town. Um, sort of strict Jews looked down on it because it was near trade routes and it had a lot of contact with the outside world. So it's the last place you'd think God was going to turn up and act. Um, so next in both passages, we get why they couldn't have children. Verse 7, um, Elizabeth couldn't conceive and they were very old. Um, and verse 27, Mary was a virgin. Then they, a bit further down, they both get visited by the angel. So verse 11, um, Zechariah, when he's all alone. So this is during his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to serve in the temple and um, burning the incense. That's when he uh, sees the angel Gabriel. And across the page, verse 26, um, Mary, uh, just in her hometown of Nazareth. We get their reactions. Verse 12, Zechariah is gripped with fear. Verse 29, Mary's greatly troubled. But Gabriel isn't there to frighten them. So verse 13 and verse 30, he says to both of them, do not be afraid. Zechariah's prayer has been, been heard. 
Mary has found favour with God. So Gabriel's visit is to bring good news, not to frighten them. Um, then each is told that they're going to have a son. Um, they're told what to name him. And they're told what their son's name, part in God's plans for rescuing humanity are. So these are going to be no ordinary sons. Both John and Jesus, verse 15 and verse 32, will be great and we'll look at their very different roles shortly. Understandably, both Zechariah and Mary have got follow-up questions. How can this be? asked Zechariah. How, no, sorry, how can I be sure of this? asked Zechariah. How will this be? asked Mary. Uh, and both are told of a sign that what Gabriel has said is true. Zechariah verse 20, because, you know, well, it's not enough that, uh, you know, the angel Gabriel's just turned up in the temple. He, he wants to be sure. So he's made mute, and we learn later on that he's also deaf until John is born. For Mary, the proof of the pudding will be that even dear elderly cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. All right. So you see what we've got here. Luke's really ordered his account. But what meaning is he trying to get across to us by par paralleling these these uh, two situations so thoroughly? Well, I think he's showing us God's not random, is he? Uh, God is in control. God is bringing order to chaos. He's got a plan and he's carrying it out. And I think this helps us in that if you think, imagine if Zechariah knew there and then that Mary was also getting this, this um, same message or a similar message. If he could see the whole plan, he'd probably have had um, more confidence in what Gabriel was telling him. Um, and the great news for us is that God's plan for us and the world is no longer a mystery. We've got his big picture. You've got it in your hands there in the Bible. His big picture sweep of salvation, uh, his big salvation story. So as we read our Bibles, uh, and each time we do, working out which bit of salvation, his salvation story it's written into, God gives us confidence and grows us in our faith um, as we see over and over where things have been, how they ha are now, and where things are heading. How God has, does, and will keep his promises to love us and share his wonder with us. So one surefire way to keep maturing um, in your faith, maturing in Christ, is to get your head around, the, the posh term is biblical theology. So the idea that the Bible has one single overarching sort of storyline that God has given us, a coherency to, to the whole thing, it all fits together an unfolding plan of salvation. If you want to chase that up, a, a good couple of books. Uh, so probably the most accessible is this one by Vaughan Roberts, God's Big Picture, a Bible overview. Or probably a bit meatier is According to Plan. And um, there's also an even meatier version of According to Plan if you're feeling really swatty. So I recommend those to you. But what Luke is paralleling here, um, it shows us what's the same, but it also, what that helps to do is really highlight the differences for us. 
So it's a bit like, and you'll forgive a soccer analogy here, it's a bit like Manchester City, all right? So these are two match programs from City 15 years apart. So it's the same club, uh, the same sort of uh, structure, playing the same game with the same rules, but different squads. But these are 15 years apart. In the first one, that's from 1999, when City were at our lowest point, the third tier of English football, playing Macclesfield Town. It's like, it's like playing, I don't know, Flinders Uni or something if you're in the Premier League club. 15 years later, that other programme is from a Champions League match playing one of the best teams in Europe, uh, FC Barcelona. So same team, same kind of game they're playing, but the differences are really highlighted. So that's what Luke's doing for us here. What's interesting is what's different because it shows us God's character. So contrast now, if you're following the outline, contrast. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are sort of priestly blue bloods. Uh, Zechariah's job is, is taken him to the temple, which is ground central for how God has been present with his people in their history. Zechariah's got this once-in-a-lifetime job of being a curtain width from the Holy of Holies, where, where God's special presence is supposed to be. If you were gonna, if you were one of God's people and you were going to predict where God was going to turn up and begin an intervention, you'd have probably picked the temple. It's like um, in the UK when there is a sort of national celebration, people gather outside Buckingham Palace, I suppose. That's where the, where the important stuff happens. But it turns out Zechariah and his son are going to be the sideshow, sort of the, the pre-launch ad campaign. The real action is in Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth. It's about as far as you can get from the temple while still being in the promised land. It's the wrong side of the tracks. In real estate speak, it's not um, dream location, but what do they say? Uh, great for first-time buyers, you know, that sort of thing. The real action is not with a priest, but with an unmarried, unimportant virgin called Mary. So there's a, a contrast between how Zechariah and Mary respond to the angel Gabriel as well, isn't there? Zechariah, his response, it's not the convenient, devoutly faithful response you'd write if you were making this story up. His question is one of doubt. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is, which is a really nice, polite way of putting it, isn't it? Well along in years. She's kind. Mary's question, verse 34, is more assuming this will happen, but wants to know how it will happen. Uh, as, as she's asking this, she doesn't know the remarkable answer, that, so she's probably wondering, well, I wonder which bloke in Nazareth is going to be my husband to help make this happen. She hears and she believes, and hearing and believing, or hearing and hardening your heart, are a theme all the way through Luke's gospel. As we'll see um, later in this series, um, uh, when Simeon meets the newborn Jesus in the temple, he tells Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. 
Oh, I don't know about you. I'm not seeing that on too many Christmas cards lately. Have you? It's a good one. Jesus coming lays, bears, lays bare God's plan of salvation. Um, John 3.16 in a... I'm going to put it. There it is. You know this verse. But this is in the Holman, which translates slightly more accurately. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that any, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. All who hear the message have, have the choice to hear and believe or to reject. God isn't random and God doesn't pick and choose the way we would, we would does he? God is pleased to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. God's pleased to work through the least important to achieve the most important. God is still pleased to use ordinary people like you and like me to fulfill his purposes. Uh, in 1 Peter, I'll stuff the formula, right, I'll just read it out to you. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Ordinary people used in extraordinary ways. And these contrasts help us to see what kind of God God is uh, and the roles that he has for these two sons that have been announced show us what his salvation is going to look like. So we're seeing what kind of God God is and we're going to see what his salvation is going to look like. It's going to sound like a klaxon going off now and loud noise coming, okay? So don't have a heart attack. Hopefully this works. <coughs> like an old car horn. All right, making, as we read this passage, it's, it's like a, an alarm going off in your head, um, making a big noise every time Old Testament references are picked up on, and especially that God's promises are being fulfilled, especially through these two sons announced by Gabriel. So as I said, as we join this story, things are not how they're supposed to be. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is really the story of the nation. Um, I've been watching uh, this TV series, Chernobyl, recently about the disaster. A really good series, pretty confronting. But what was really good, good about it was it it was good at telling the big sort of historical story and the scientific and the political stories in a way that you really cared about because they were told through just a handful of human stories of one family, one politician, one sci two scientists, that sort of thing. And so it is with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Their story is kind of their nation's story, waiting on God, faithful to God, but yet to experience the blessings of lots of offspring and freedom in their own land promised by God to his people. Those promises they had that if they were faithful, that's what they'd get. They're yet to experience Israel coming back under God's control. They're God's people, they're back in the promised land, yes, but they're under occupation by the pagan Romans of all people. 
the king Herod, who's named in the passage there. He isn't even fully Jewish. He's kind of a, a puppet king. So there's tension in the air. It's like, it's like an elastic band's being drawn back and the tension's ratcheting up and ratcheting up. The people are desperate for God's rescuer, the Messiah, to come and deliver them at last. But it's been 400 years since Malachi, the last sort of capital P prophet. And now, suddenly, it's all happening. History's on the verge of the greatest leap forward it's ever seen. And Luke makes sure that we get the significance of it. So, setting off this klaxon in various ways. I won't do it for everyone. That would just be annoying, wouldn't it? But you get the idea. So, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is um, deliberately told so that it sounds like Abram and Sarah's story with, um, when they're having Isaac. So there's one class I'm going off. Uh, there's an angel, and not just any old angel, the angel Gabriel. He's one of, the on, one of only two named angels in the Bible. The same Gabriel who's, who's um, explained visions and gave prophecies to Daniel. Gabriel, whose self-description is that he stands in God's very presence. Another Claxon, Mary, verse 30, has found favor with God. That's said of people like Noah, like Moses. More Old Testament Claxons going off. Mary is a virgin, as prophesied in Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Uh, Gabriel explains the significance of, of uh, Zechariah's son, John that he will fulfill Malachi 4. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So Elijah was um, the first great reforming prophet of the Old Testament who preached repentance to wicked King Ahab. And so Zech's son John is going to come in that sort of reforming spirit to get people ready, to get them to repent. John is kind of like the shorts before the main movie, the warm up on the pitch before the main match. And what about Mary's son? Well, Jesus is the promised king, the one they've all been waiting for, the one promised to King David in 2 Samuel. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Gabriel picks up on those words. So Luke carefully lays all this out so that we can have confidence. We can have confidence that God's Old Testament promises are being fulfilled. Um, new promise, promises are being made in the context of previous promises coming true there and then. You see, God didn't get earth 1.0 wrong in the Old Testament, and now the New Testament, uh, Jesus' plan B is sort of doing a do-over. No, Jesus is the culmination, the fulfillment of God's plans all along. So this is what the real God's real salvation looks like. It's not through a philosophy or, or a set of rules, or achieving an enlightened state, or something like that. Real salvation is being rescued back into right relationship with God, rescued by Him, intervening in history 
in a real time and a real place with real, ordinary people. We're rescued from the judgment and the, the wrath of God that we deserve when we trust and believe in this promised King, Jesus. And when we do that, we become part of his kingdom, his completely fair, completely just and peaceful rule forever. So to our final heading, how are you going to respond to this? Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus today, what do you make of this orderly account that Luke's given us? I mean, it's mind-blowingly supernatural, yes, but it has a ring of truth about it, doesn't it? It matches up with what's gone before. It matches up with all the manuscript and archaeological evidence of history. It's got names and dates which expose this account to scrutiny. And it's not just a collection of ideas or a philosophy, but it's news of things that God has done. And we've not been left to wonder what it all means. We've got the inside story from heaven itself to tell us the significance of these events. So it's a supernatural account, yes, but it's a very human account too. An account of understandable, inconvenient reactions. Zechariah, despite being a priest, despite meeting the angel Gabriel, heard the message and couldn't quite believe it. Mary accepted the message, but still had follow-up questions. God always keeps his promises. What he says will happen, happens. And more often than not, he chooses surprising ways to make it happen. He chooses ordinary people like you and like me. And he doesn't need our faith to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to switch off our brains and bury any doubts or questions deep down. But he does call on us to trust him, to believe in the word he gives us. To say, like Mary said, may your word to me be fulfilled. And when we do say that, we get to be part of this good news of great joy. We get to be part of Jesus' kingdom under his perfect rule of peace and joy in right relationship with God now and forever. And at heart, even if we don't recognize it yet, that's the moment that every one of us is waiting for. To finish, uh, I'm going to say prayer, um, um, which is unusual uh, for me to use, the pr Anglican prayer book. All right, this is for the first Sunday in Advent. That's what it is today, if you follow that kind of thing. And uh, this time of year in the church calendar is where we l look forward to Jesus coming, both in humility as a baby, and we look forward to him returning in glory and majesty when it will be, it won't be... Um, a quiet word, like the Gab angel Gabriel on his own, one-to-one. -one. It'll be unmistakable, like when the angels appear to the shepherds. You, ca you can't miss it. So here's prayer. So join me in praying. Almighty God, give us the grace that we may cast away the works of darkness 
and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, in which your son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he'll come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.